is Mike Tinelli. You're listening to the Queen MP number one Sixers podcast in America. everybody this is the feed to Embiid I am your host Austin Krell along with a guy who has been apparently working at gyms a lot recently Brock how are you my friend hey Kay I'm doing well my buddy how about yourself can't complain can't complain I turn 24 tomorrow so it's a oh, uh, yeah so it's, a, so it's so it's a big day uh you know it's gonna be uh you know just do some work today and then um you know tomorrow will be a, be a fun day for sure you got um, anything planned or just gonna have some lunch with the family, oh, go to the nice. beach, right. pool, a couple cohibas, maybe a couple drinks. You know the the the, uh, the usual. Um, but we have a lot to discuss. We are, I think, two weeks away from the beginning of of the of the the restart of the NBA season. And uh, again, more quotes this week, more uh, you know exciting stuff. And I think, I, not maybe not surprising, but things that really make you think a little bit, uh, namely. Brett Brown is clearly moving more towards starting Shake Milton and Ben Simmons. So that would mean that, well, obviously Ben is already starting, but Ben is moving to the four, Shake at point guard. Um, and you know, I think it's a lot to think about. I think it isn't just some inserting some role, role player in there. I think it's about just changing the look of the offense uh, significantly. So we're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss the uh, Matisse Thibel's vlog, which I think has been absolutely awesome. I think I, I enjoy it very much, though. So. Um, and also, we will discuss um, the idea of trading uh, for Zach Levine versus the idea of trading for Buddy Heald. Um, we're going to keep it professional. We're not going to not going to subtweet anybody. We're just going to discuss it. Um, now, uh, we're going to start off with Shake and Ben. Um, for, for for moving Ben to power forward, um, I think it obviously maximizes the efficiency of your offense in the half court. But I also think that it allows you to put three wings on the perimeter, which is not something that they've used a lot uh, or, or really you know experimented with a ton. They, they certainly they haven't played a minute of Shake, Tobias, Josh, Ben, and Joel. That lineup has never played together. So and now they're going to start that potentially in a playoff series. Um, but I think the concept of a three guard, peri- a three wing perimeter, is a really, really, really interesting idea for them, because the numbers show that this season, when they have three guys on the on the on the perimeter who are willing and able shooters, 
it changes the entire way their offense runs. It's way more efficient. And I think Bennett power forward um, opens up a, a new dynamic to their offense that is at the very least interesting and at the very best, you know, potentially maximally effective and a solution that, that has been uncovered. What, what do you, what do you think of Bennett power forward? Yeah, sure. So Austin, the key phrase I took from what you just said was maximizing efficiency. And I think in moving Ben to the four, it's going to be an experiment, but I think it really does help maximize the efficiency of the Sixers offense. And I say that because you can add a wing, like you said, so you subtract maybe Al Horford from the lineup, who's less than 35% shooting on catch and shoot, and you add an able-bodied shooter like Shake Milton. And Austin, you're going to talk about Shake, but the guy was incredible during his stretch of basketball prior to COVID. And if he can shoot anywhere close to as well as he did prior to the stoppage of play, that's a huge boost in the Sixers offense. Now, Ben Simmons has been top eight in touches per game and total touches every single season of his career. So he's going to be touching the basketball. He's still going to facilitate in the offense. But I think having a secondary ball handler or a secondary playmaker in the offense to initiate something if Ben Simmons can't, it's going to be really helpful. And Austin, how many times last year during a Sixers game did you see Ben Simmons go to the low block after dumping the ball off right passing half court and stand there for 24 seconds during a possession? And it was infuriating to watch because you know how good Ben Simmons is and what he can do in the half court. So I think now if you take the ball out of his hands and put it in the hands of another ball handler, it can help your offense. You can use pick and rolls. Shake Milton can run a two-man game with Joel Embiid. You can run pick and pops. Ben Simmons is shooting the hell out of the basketball. I don't know if I want to fall for all of these videos, Austin, but if Ben Simmons can maybe or, or even add a little semblance of a jump shot during this eight-game stretch or even in the playoffs, that's a huge added boost to the offense. So – I think the offense is going to be way more dynamic. You're going to see Ben Simmons still facilitating off of live rebound. Let's not forget, Austin, Ben Simmons is one of, if not the most productive players in transition. The fastest player in the NBA. I mean, the fastest player in the NBA, and most of his points come in, come in transition. I believe it's around 30% of his points are scored in transition, which is more than Giannis and Ndokounmpo and LeBron James. So off of a live rebound, Ben Simmons is going to shoot out of a cannon. But in the half court, having a secondary playmaker or a secondary ball handler may ease some of the pressure off of Simmons, and he can be used in different ways. Like I said, maybe a roll man in the pick-and-roll situation, maybe in the dunker spot if Joel Embiid is in the PNR, or he might even shoot. You, you could see pick-and-pops, things of that sort. So I think putting Ben Simmons at the four is, is a move that can only help this offense. Yeah, and I think one thing that you sort of touched on that was a good point was how many times that we – how many times have we seen in the past where uh, Ben first pass off to the, off to the wing and he quickly dives down on the block and just stands there and it's like a waste of a, it's a waste of Ben Simmons on a possession. So you might think like, well, you know, why is this good then? Well, because the strate the strategy is is much different now. Now you're using him as as a power forward where he's supposed to be on the block, whereas before you're just sort of like he's not going to shoot the ball. It's a half court set. This is where we got to dump him. And just let him sit there, and 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 if there's an offensive rebound, he can crash it. No, now you're actually actively trying to find ways to include Ben Simmons down low in the offense, and he has fared pretty well in the low post area. I mean, everyone wants to say like, you know, he's not shooting jump shots, he's not taking you know the the, you know, the threes, he's not taking twenty footers, whatever, whatever you want to say. 
he has taken a ton of, of these low post hooks or like little flip shots that, I mean, technically, statistically, they count as jump shots because that's how they're that's how they're added on to you know the sites that we go to for stats. Um, so he's shown an ability to be effective in that low post area and convert you know from the field there. And I think that's certainly something that's going to help them in the playoffs because as, if you can get if you can find a way to just you know be, get positive like uh, positive production out of out of out of him in the half court in the playoffs. You're golden. That 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 that's that that's the crux of what people think is holding this team back in the playoffs is Ben Simmons not being effective in the half court. So if you can get if you can get Ben in a position where he can score the ball and, and be a positive, that's that that's what we're trying to do at the end of the day. Um, so I think it's a great move. Now I wanted to discuss Shake Milton as well, and I think we can't um, understate how significant. He isn't a superstar, at least not yet. Like, who knows what he's going to be five years from now. Um, I mean, Isaiah Thomas was drafted 60th overall, and he ended up being a a multi-time All-Star. So who knows what he's going to be years from now. That's depending on what his ceiling is, what his work ethic's like, et cetera. Um, But right now, he's posed to this team a a guard and a playmaking guard who is capable of, of, of both dribbling and shooting the ball. And, you know, actually creating a shot out of a dribble. Like, imagine that, a basketball player being able to, to create a shot out of a dribble. That's wild to me. Um, so, I th- and, 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 and his production since the beginning of 2020 is astronomical. Um, he averaged 19 points per game in March. And across those three months, he averaged like a little bit over 13 points a game, which maybe isn't that impressive. Um, but it is impressive when you think about the fact that his true shooting percentage was nearly 70%. That's a combination of efficiency of, for those who don't know, two-point field goals, three-point field goals, and free throws, near 70%. You, you might get like a couple – you might get like one or two bigs in the NBA every year who reach that. Like Rudy Gobert is typically around that because he's getting putbacks and he's getting, you know, just easy dump-offs. And he's shooting, percentage you know, shots, yeah. yeah. Shake is taking three-pointers. And he's taken a, a lot of them. So he's converting, you know, he has a 70% true shooting percentage. Um, and he was shooting 50, over 50% from three each month of 2020 until the, the shutdown. That's not a fluke. That's not a hot week. It's not a hot month. That's okay. We, we have something here. Um, Tyler average. It says who averages more points per game during the playoffs. Shake Horford or Jordan Wara. It's going to be Jordan Wara. We all know that. Thank you, Chris. Um, now, I think it's really, really um, interesting that, that they went with him given the options. Like, Korkmaz has been a fixture in some of their most effective lineups in terms of offensive rating and efficiency. Um, he's certainly been their, 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 their sniper this season. Um, Thibel has had a very up-and-down season. He's struggled a lot, but they could have leaned into and fully, and fully you know, endorsed the you know, the, the menacing length that they have on the perimeter and the switchability. Of course, Thibault's had a lot of foul trouble this year in his first year, but he has been, you know, swiper the fox. He's been great with tipping flat passes, creating deflections, and really pushing this team in transition where Ben Simmons is most effective. The problem with that is that, of course, Joel Embiid is not a type of player who who excels in, in full court play. So do you really want to take him out of a rhythm and make him feel unimportant in your offense and then let him get disengaged in the playoff series? No, you don't. 
Um, Mike Scott's been used a ton, but his his shooting has been way up and down. You can't afford to have that. You need consistency. So the obvious choice is going to be Shake Milton, and he's proven himself tremendously the first three months of 2020. And he, you know, defensive rating, not there, not quite there. I think that's a, that's a more of a, of a of a of a research project that you look and see how the absences of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons affect the team, you know, the individual other players in the team and their ability to defend the ball because they have a, a an exponentially significant impact on defense. Those two, but true shooting, pace, offensive rating, um, true uh, you know, all, all of these different variables. Shake Milton blows the, in, the other options out of the water. I don't include Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson the third in that category because they haven't been in Philadelphia long enough. They came out. They, they, they their roles were completely reversed. And um, from their time in Golden State to Philly, we're talking about like starting a ton of usage, um, ball dominance. To this is your role. You are the backups. This is what you do, and. It's it's very hard to sort of find an, an even an even playing field to compare them against the other guys who have been here for an entire season and have found their roles with the team. Mm-hmm. So I think Shake uh, presents a dynamic to this team. Not only does he add shooting, but he really stabilizes their pace. And I think that is something that we can't overlook. They have such a contrast in their playing styles with Joel and with with with, with, with like different guys in the court. Like they have lineups that accommodate pace specifically for Ben Simmons, so that way he can push the ball and, and really put pressure on transition defenses. And they have you know lineups that, that are that are better in the half court for Joel, and the pace just, just it's it's all up and down the scale. With Shake Milton, I think that it really allows you to stabilize your pace, so that way you're getting the best of both worlds. And Brett Brown has some continuity to work with in terms of finding something in the half court that can be effective in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm going to co-sign everything you said. I love the Shake Milton move. And one of the games I went back and watched was Philadelphia's game at home against Golden State. And Shake Milton had an incredibly productive game offensively. And he shared minutes with Ben Simmons on the floor, Joel Embiid on the floor, Al Horford on the floor, Tobias Harris. And he was still productive. And I think that's because, Austin, you hit the nail on the head. He stabilizes pace. Shake Milton is looking to score. I think the contrast between him and players like Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson is that Alec Burks is instant offense for the individual. I, I don't think he's really going to kickstart offense for Philadelphia. I think he's among the better ball handlers on the Sixers, but I don't think he's as good offensively as Shake Milton could be, given Milton's body of work this season. Glenn Robinson is more of an off-ball movement guy, a cutter. He's good and a complimentary piece in transition, but he's more of a role player than he is an impact player. For Shake Milton, in January – he shot 50% on catch-and-shoot three-point attempts on almost four attempts per game. And that's fantastic given the difference between him and a player like Al Horford or even Tobias this season. If you can get that type of production on catch-and-shoot on a team that does so so frequently, that's unparalleled. 61.7 true shooting. Awesome, Austin. You already alluded to it. That's on three-pointers mostly. Uh, so to have a true shooting percentage that high, it's pretty rare. Uh, you said the defensive rating wasn't there, and of course it's not, and, and you do make a good point about the absences of some cornerstone defenders, but I think sometimes defense can be masked. And on a team like the Sixers, Shake Milton's defense most certainly can be masked if you have such a good rim protector like Joel Embiid and a player like Ben Simmons who can play up tight because of Joel Embiid 
with the addition of maybe Matisse or Josh Richardson. Shake Milton's defensive assignment isn't going to be crazy. You know, Ben Simmons is most likely defending the first core player. Josh Richardson or Thibault will take the second. Joel Embiid will take the big. So Shake Milton defensively shouldn't have to do much other than defend his assignment. And that assignment may be option three or four. Uh, so in January, he had a 94.3 defensive rating. The lower the number, the better. And in the fourth quarter, that defensive rating was 78.6. Okay. That was the best on the Sixers in January. That's an incredible defensive rating in the fourth quarter. That's how many points are scored on the amount of per 100 possession basis. So Shake Milton doing a really good job on defense and 83.3% field goal percentage on layups in that month. Over 50% in his rookie season and over 60% this season. So he can finish well. He looks to score. He's very patient with the basketball. He can stall until he finds an open lane or until he finds a cutter or somebody on the wing. And that's what I really like about Shake Milton, the stabilization of pace. And Austin, I think that's going to be huge for this offense, not to mention in the month of March through the first five games, he had the second fewest turnovers of 45 plus players with 300 or more touches. Yep. So that's good ball security as well. I'm excited to see what Shake Milton can bring this offense. Yeah, I think we don't talk enough about the, the the creating offense part. Like you mentioned the catch and shoot part, which is even more impressive when you consider the fact that Joel Embiid, one of their best three-point shooters, which is an indictment on the team more so than a compliment of Joel because he really was – I mean, he shot like 34%, I think, 35%. Um, but he was out for a, a big part of, 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 of Milton's, I guess, coming out party, right? And their shooting is inconsistent as all hell to begin with. So the fact that he was able to convert that high a percentage of catch-and-shoot opportunities when the spacing around him wasn't that great and the shooting around him wasn't that great, it's 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 kind of hard to believe that he, you know, this guy was a second-round pick who was able to come in and, and, and do that in his second year in, in the league. Um, but I think we can't get lost on the fact that this, this kid can really create his own shot. He created, I think, in, in the two months, it was February, March, 42% and 47% respectively of his of his field goals made were off the, were over un, unassisted. So he was creating nearly 50% of his field goal attempts, making them and his true shooting percentage actually rose. So how often do you see a guy who's A inexperienced, B a second round pick and C um you know the, the pieces around him aren't like the best pieces on the team? And then D, his act, his, his he creates an, a, a bigger number of shots for himself, and then also converts a higher percentage of his overall looks. I mean, his efficiency <clears throat> rose despite creating more shots. You usually don't see that, um, which is pretty, pretty, pretty incredible. So I, I think not only does he add a shooter to the court, but he also adds an ability to to have that primary ball handler, something Jimmy Butler was last year. Um, was the primary ball handler for this team and the lead ball handler who could create his own his own bucket. And while that ability to score for Butler at, off of the dribble, off of jump shots, has faded this year, and I know you know that that you know, everyone wants to like be, be wants to be correct and say, you know, oh, they would be they would be a better team with him because they remember the Toronto series and you know the, and, and and they don't want to be considered wrong. But you got to you got to embrace new thinking. And the numbers for Jimmy Butler as a creator this year are are abhorrent. Um, and that I, you know, Shake Milton has done a really nice job in limited opportunities to sort of replicate what that can be for the Sixers. Um, and I think that, um, you know, 
he, while, while he won't be the difference between them getting out of the second round of the getting out of the first round of playoffs, getting out of the second round of playoffs, getting the getting to the conference finals, NBA finals, he's a a, a piece in there that makes this whole thing come together and function like a team that can get to that point. Another thing I want to add, Austin, is that Shake Milton is 6'5". So Philadelphia has great physical physical advantages already. And it's not like there's a drop-off if you utilize Shake Milton as a point guard as opposed to Ben Simmons because Simmons, 6'10", like I said, off a live rebound is still going to shoot out of a cannon. And and if he's playing in that dunker spot, who's going to defend him, right? A power forward probably has to defend him at that point. So that leaves Shake Milton running the point guard at 6'5". He's still bigger than a lot of point guards in the league. And Tobias Harris at 6'8", moves to small forward, I'd assume. And there's a physical advantage to that position now, too. Uh, so I really don't think there's a drop-off. And you said Shake Milton may not be that winning piece, but in my opinion, he could be that X factor. If Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid show up and play their basketball as per usual, I think the Sixers are going to be a really tough team to beat. They have a lot of depth. Tobias Harris as well. Uh, but Shake Milton could be that guy that on offense produces so much that that it, it almost appeases the the workload that Ben Simmons and Embiid and Tobias right. have. That game against the Clippers, Shake Milton looked like one of the best shooters. He he was a marksman in the NBA. I think uh, I think so, in that I think that game he like missed the three and he, and that was like cracked a streak of like eleven or twelve makes in a row across a couple of different games, which is unbelievable. Yeah, he, he. I mean, there there was a, a stretch of time where Shake Milton was shooting 70, 80% plus from beyond the arc. So a, a guy like Shake Milton, if he can give you 20 to 25 points per game, maybe even 15 plus off of spacing the floor and, and as, as a ball handler, I think he could be that X factor. He is a downhill point guard at 6'5". Like I said, he's always looking to score. So if you compare that with Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons in the pick and roll, that's a brand new dynamic in this offense that nobody has seen before. So it may be tough for teams coming to try to prepare for Philadelphia when they haven't really seen Shake Milton. There's very limited film. So I think Philadelphia can go a lot of different ways here. They, they, they I'm sure, have plenty of tricks up their sleeve, and I'm really encouraged. I'm, I'm excited to see what's going on with Shake. And I, I want to I bring up this because uh, John Russell says, Brett learned last year that the, taking the ball out of Benton's hands during that Raptor series is how this team is going to be successful. Um, it's a good point, and I kind of wonder, like, if there's like a different coach there, I wonder if they would have seen this sooner and they would have said, you know, like, okay, this is something we have to go to. Cause I, I forget where I heard this a couple of days ago, but I heard like Brett Brown has, you know, a, a level of respect for Al Horford. That's so significant that even if it might not be the best thing for the team, he would still start Al Horford because it's, it's out of a respect for Al Horford. Who's a great player, which is a ridiculous way to, to coach, a, to coach a team, but it's something that was said. Um, but I got to wonder if like, but you, you make a good point about like the X factor um, there. And I'm, I'm not saying that shake isn't going to be the X factor. Like an X factor can be a star. can be a role player. can be it just someone sliding into a role to get the team over the edge, to get to their next, you know, their next che- uh, checkpoint. And I think Shake can absolutely be that guy. But my point was that like it isn't like he's some star who they acquired who lost his way and then and then has started to figure things out again. He's mm-hmm. a guy who who is unproven, um, you know, and had a really really hot stretch before the shutdown. And he's now their best pat- possible option to put on the perimeter as a shot creator, as a as a lead as a lead ball handler. 
and can be that X factor that smooths the offense a little better. Um, I want to I want to get into uh, Matisse Thibel's tremendous tremendous uh, vlog that he's begun. First of all, Thibel, I want I my first thought is like I wonder how much time and he has to spend like positioning the camera, thinking like thinking where he's going to film next. Like it's it can't be like it isn't like he's just like oh this is a good angle I'm gonna put this here. He has to like strategically place that camera so that way it all works. And I think he's put a ton of time into this. And it's really impressive, honestly. He got a shout. uh, I think Casey Neistat shouted him out or or tweeted something at Thibel. And you don't get a shout out from one of YouTube's most popular creators, let alone vloggers, if you're not doing good work. Uh, I admit, I slept on Matisse Thibel. Not not as a basketball player, (laughs) but as a personality. Uh, I think a month or two ago, when quarantine hit Austin, I was complaining with you. I had a gripe with all the TikToks and the reception they got with 76 with Twitter. <laughs> and this is a little different. Um, th- th- this shows a little more maturity. You see a, a different side of Matisse Thibault in these vlogs. And I-, I think what's even more entertaining is you really get to see how all these players interact on a day-to-day basis. It kind of takes them away from larger-than-life personalities, and you kind of just see them for human beings. And a lot of them are really entertaining Um, Matisse has been having uh, a lot of fun with Kyle O'Quinn. He's been really funny throughout this vlog series. And Ben Simmons is is a man of few words, but he's always entertaining. He's got his own YouTube. He's doing his thing there. And I think we're living in in a really unique generation. I always have to add these little uh, excerpts about our our age of digital media, whatever. But I, I think we live in a really unique generation where we have access to something like this. So you got all these basketball players that went away to Florida, like it was an AAU tournament, and and they're vlogging it, and we get to sit at home and watch. I know JaVale McGee was doing it. Hassan <laughs> Whiteside's doing it on Snapchat. Matisse Thibel's vlogging it. A lot of players are vlogging their expedition here, and it's it's really funny to watch, and it's just interesting to see what's going on. So I, I'll admit, Austin, I'll take that bullet. I was wrong about Matisse Thibel as a person. <laughs> I came around on him again. Yeah, no, he's definitely uh, he, he's definitely a fun dude. Uh, he enjoys a good time, and he seems like a pretty humble kid too, uh, which is always which always nice to see. Um, one thing that I do want to make a point of is like you see like the food that he has and like the little snack packs they give. Yep. I don't blame the players for breaking the bubble because they're not giving. Like, it doesn't look like they're giving them like food like like you have to feed these the, these players and not give them like little like like freaking like uh grilled chicken and like some some like some pasta and a little bit of like a little bowl of tomato soup you, that 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 you, you got to feed these guys and you got to find ways to satisfy those things that would push them towards breaking the bubble like um i forget who it was uh who 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 ran out to get food for sure Rashawn Holmes, yeah. Former, uh, former processy. Right. I wonder why, because they're not being given adequate meals from what we've seen so far. Um, but, you know, I, I think overall the NBA has done a, a pretty good job with sort of sweetening this as much as possible. I, do, you, do you find it interesting that, like, there's always one team in, like, the lounge room or the game room at all times? Like, it isn't like you see, like – Oh, there's Jamal Murray. There's Luka Doncic. There's this guy. There's that guy. Like, it's always only members of one team in, in it at once. I wonder if they have like scheduled times and usages of it. I guess they probably I'm sure did, they right? do. I'm, I'm sure they do. I don't really know the logistics behind it, but that lounge, I wouldn't mind <laughs> being in that lounge. It's a pretty good lounge. 
got, got video games, a bar, a, a, what's it like? A, a, it's almost like a, a, a buffet style table of food. There's a lot of cool things in the lounge. I wouldn't mind being there. I don't know what they're being fed, honestly. I, I'm, I'm not really on social media as much, so I, I don't know what players are being fed or what they're posting. Um, but I think the bigger problem is all the work that the players are trying to fly in, all, all the uh, all the work that they're trying to get to come to their hotels. And oh, the NBA had to send out a memo the other day to tell teams that unauthorized personnel should be entering the bubble. So I know uh, a couple of the players are probably getting frisky there in Florida, but you got to stay <laughs> solid for a month or two longer. There, there's a bigger picture here. It's an economy. It's a business. You got to, uh, you know, you got to, you got to, got to help support the economy during downtimes. You got to, um, you got to, you got to respect the dedication, the, the dedication <laughs> or the desperation, something like that. But regardless, you got to respect it. <laughs> Just it's called Vaseline. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I want to get into now um, the idea of trading for Zach Levine. Well, no, actually, I forgot one thing I wanted to, before we do that. I forgot one thing. You see these guys shotgunning sure. beer, like, 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 what, oh a, what, a, what a bizarre activity. Like, <laughs> who would have thought that you'd think that you'd find like JJ Reddick now shotgunning beers in like an ice tub? What? And the, not he, even like, what, maybe not even, he could use the King Cobra. We, we should fly. <laughs> we should send out some King Cobras to him. It could crack the wait, beer can. Wait, 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 wait. That's not a bad idea. Maybe I should like DM him or something like that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, no, but like, like, like JJ is so prideful about like what he eats and like you know the wine that he drinks and like the the high end restaurants and here he is shotgunning a Bud Light. What is going on here? But you do make a good point. And speaking of the King Cobra, do you think JJ Reddick like shotgunning beer? I think he does. Do I think, think all of them like too. Do you think he want to increase? Do you think he like to increase his shotgun time at parties so that way Myers Leonard doesn't smoke them in those contests? Yeah, how could he do that though? Well. He should check out my boys at the King Cobra. The King Cobra oh, okay. is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hold under a second. Also, a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on the keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check him out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is spelled with a K. For a ten percent discount on all products, enter the code Trust the Cobra Ten, all all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. Now we get back into the Zach Levine and the uh, and versus Buddy Heald trade scenario, and. It seems that, for whatever reason, some people in, in I guess, the aspiring media uh, world are trying to create beef with me, which is interesting. Um, I, I don't get it, but whatever. Um, now, I, 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 they say that Zach Levine wouldn't be the right piece for the Sixers. And while I think, you know, Jack and, and 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 Harrison and whoever else are you know they they, they make um, you know it's a certainly a viable discussion and the you know, Buddy Heels would be a tremendous fit. Um, there's numbers there that prove that Zach Levine is not only a a much 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 better offensive player than Buddy Heald, but the defensive downside the defensive downside that they have there is 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 inaccurate. It's more because the Bulls are a bad defensive team in general. And I think what that does is psychologically is that Levine thinks, well, we suck on defense anyway. Why should I try to defend harder? 
Um, and so he does sort of, you know, d- doesn't really give a shit on defense. Um, but I mean, and you and I texted about this yesterday. His field goal percentage, I, I mean, and you, we'll let you give the stats for, 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 for the, the, that sort of <laughs> prove that the defense isn't as bad as, as it's made out to be. Yeah. So, Austin, you just said Zach Levine doesn't really give a shit about defense. And if that's true, his defensive numbers are still better than Buddy Heald. And, and that's not an indictment of either of them. But I just think that neither player would really collapse Philadelphia's defensive scheme. When you have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, I don't think an individual player can collapse their defensive scheme. But the lowest field goal percentage that Buddy Heald held his opponents to in his career was 46.3%. That was in 2018. Levine hasn't surrendered a higher field goal percentage since 2016. So Levine is surrendering field goal percentages of 41%, 42, 44 numbers in that ballpark. Whereas Levine or uh, Buddy Heald, my apologies, is, is usually surrendering a higher field goal. Percentage. And in, in all season, but one Zach Levine has more steals and blocks than Buddy Heald. So Zach Levine defensively, is is at the very least an average defender. Um, I, I don't think that either one of them would collapse Philadelphia's defensive scheme. I think the difference is the offensive production because they're different offensive roles. Buddy Heald is one of the better catch and shooters in the league. There's no denying that. But I just think that Zach Levine has more of a multidimensional skill set on offense. And if you watch film, it shows he has step backs, he has pull ups. He can shoot from both elbows. He can shoot on both sides of the floor. He can drive with precision. I just think Levine is a better offensive player. The problem is the assets, and that's where I tend to agree with most people. I think that giving up Matisse Thybul and Josh Richardson with the addition of picks may be a little much if you can get Buddy Heald for cheaper because there isn't this huge drop-off in production between the two. But if you could get Zach Levine at a cheap price, cheaper than Matisse Thybul, Richardson, something in a pick, I would 100% take him over Buddy Heald. I, I I would 100% do that. So let me so, – so I think I, I kind of disagree with you. Uh, and I, and I, I do so respectfully. Um, you're allowed to. Yeah, yeah, you're allowed, allowed to. to. Um, so Levine has averaged six points per game more than Heald did this season. Um, and that's with Levine being the unquestioned far and away number one, two, three – and four option on the Bulls this year. Um, so defense is new to key on him, and he was still averaging six more points per game. He also maintained um, a higher true shooting percentage than Heald as being that number one key cog in the Bulls' offense that defense has had to key on. I don't think the three – and I get Heald's a, a, a phenomenal three-point shooter, 39, 39.5%. Um and you know he he he's a very good catch and shoot player, would fit well next to Joel and Ben, but he's only a one point five percent three point shooter better one point five percent better from beyond the arc than than Levine was. Levine was three eighty this year, um, um, healed was three ninety five. So the trade off that you get from the three point shooting is not nearly significant enough for me to just anoint healed as an option over. Over, over Levine, um, that you know, where, where it's like, okay, I will, I will sacrifice one less trade chip if it means I can get healed. Like if Matisse Thybul is what's holding you away from getting Zach Levine, 
I kind of think you have to do that trade. Um, and additionally, even with Heald's, you know, even with even with their their three point percentage being that minimally separate, Levine was also top sixty in isolation scoring. A top no, sorry, top fifty percentile in, in isolation scoring. Whereas Heald was be- was below fifty percent, bottom fifty. So one is a very very capable scorer off the dribble and in isolation. Something the Sixers really need, and that Shake Milton is, I guess, trying to become. But Zach Levine averages over twenty points per game this season um, on you know pretty good efficiency for a terrible team. So I think Zach Levine. If, if, if you stop yourself short of Zach Levine and the op, and the opportunities there, it's malpractice. And while I do think that Heald is a very, 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 you know, or well, well, well Matisse Thibault is a, a fun player. We all like him. He's a fan favorite for sure. Um, did you know that his offensive rating was out of 278 players to play at least 18 minutes a game this season? His offensive rating ranked 246 out of 278. He's yeah. giving you he's giving he's giving you next to nothing on offense, and and he makes the Sixers' offense worse. And by the way, an offense that doesn't have the firepower to afford being able to play guys who make them that much worse. So while Matisse is a, is a really 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 good team defender and he makes plays defensively, i.e. stripping you know tipping passes and getting deflections and creating havoc. He's also foul prone, and I don't know that his ceiling at his at his age is going to be that much that much better than, you know, a a serviceable, okay offensive role player, and, you know, a, a, and, a, and a you know an above average defender. But I don't know that he can be better than Robert Covington as an offensive player. And I'm not a big Covington guy. So, what are we really talking about here? And Josh Richardson also his contract is is, is up in two years. He might price himself out of the Sixers market. Why wouldn't you want to get a guy like Levine that you can extend and really fit your offense very, very well? Good points. And my final remark will be this. Uh, You can take this for whatever you'd like, but I'm looking at field goals made unassisted, the percentage of player-made field goals that were unassisted. Uh, And Buddy Hield's career, his highest total was 47.2 and half a season in 2016. So – Total that season was was 40.4%. Really, his average is between 38% and 43%. That's his percentage of field goals made unassisted. Uh, for Zach Levine in the previous couple of seasons, it's been 54.5, 62.5, 0 over 49%. So there's no questioning that Zach Levine can create instant individual offense far more effectively and far more often than Buddy Heald. I think people think Buddy Heald is a better complimentary piece because you can get him at a fraction of the cost, and he does a one-dimensional thing in shooting three-point shots. But like I said, I I really don't think there's a huge discrepancy in production between the two. So if it didn't take as much to get Zach Levine, I would 100% prefer him over Buddy Heald. Now, if the package was a huge ask, I don't know if I could say the same. I I think, Austin, you you, you do kind of change my mind, though, a little bit. Because Matisse Thibel came out of college at, at an older age, already one of a really good point of attack defenders, and he had a good season doing so. But it was problematic offensively for Matisse Thibel throughout the season. That's that's a large reason as to why he lost minutes throughout the year. He couldn't produce much on offense. He lost a three-point shot. And other than that, he didn't add much. So 
I think you're banking on the fact that Matisse Thibel is going to develop into a really good offensive player. And Josh Richardson is going to have a budget in the Sixers wheelhouse. But mind you, they have three max players and you never know what Josh Richardson might want for himself in a year or two, especially with how the well, salaries might, might change. Well, they might have one. They might have one less if they if they are smart Trade, to solve it. They might have one one, one, yeah. yeah, you're right. Um, but I, I think you have to assume a lot of a, a lot of things for that trade to to be prevented and go well in the Sixers' favor. Uh, so if that trade was an opportunity that the Sixers had to take, um, I'm not sure I wouldn't mind it. Right. Um, now, Ben Simmons lately has has spent a lot of time um, posting videos of, of himself shooting the ball. Um, and before I segue into this, I do want to encourage the viewers, um, you know, if you have questions, we love, you know, we love questions. Ask away. We'll be happy to answer them towards the end. Um, but Ben Simmons is, is you know, he's done, a, he's done more, um, you know, film, uh, film study. This, uh, you know, in, in Orlando, more videos of practicing, shooting, um, and you know, Brett Brown's now singing praises, and we see him talk with Tony Snell about, oh, I'm going to do more in Orlando, um, and fans are getting, you know, buying in. Oh, they're going to win the championship. Some of them are, are saying it jokingly; others really believe it. And while the fans have, you know, while the, while the fans should never give up their fandom, fans, you know, should keep that passion and keep that hope. That that's what that's what keeps us, you know, running as as sports fans. Um, ben, how many times have we heard or we've seen videos of Ben Simmons shooting the ball in in, in, in scrimmages in, in 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 the summer or in practice? We see it over and over and over again. And you know now Brett Brown saying, "Well, he's gonna he's he, you know his shot looks great." Ben saying, "You know uh, you know I'm I'm gonna he's, he's teasing it. I'm gonna shoot more." Um, ben also said that if it's open, I'll take it before the season started. He's taken five, you know, non-paint jump shots all season. So I want to caution the fans towards, you know, for, or from, um, you know, anointing that Ben's going to be this, you know, he's going to be this this different guy. Um, he still is afraid to shoot the ball. And it's not going to change, you know, open court, Um and it's 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 not it's not going to change the fact that they're playing in Orlando, or that they're playing in an unoccupied arena. I don't think the simple fact of the matter is that he catches the ball top of the arc, and he's not looking to shoot it immediately. He's looking to pass it. If 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 they're going to dare him to back that far off, it's, it's, it's his own teammates. By the way, teammates who won't like make fun of him, won't criticize him. There's no one to boo him there. Won't clap in his face about it. He's going to take it. When you have a playoff series where it's a high stakes environment. Other team is trying to find a way to get near head mentally. I just don't see how he's going to be suddenly, you know, popping out and and, and 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 willingly taking multiple threes. When if it's a bad miss, first of all, it's going to shatter his confidence. If it's a bad miss, second of all, he's going to have a lot of mental mental warfare there with guys trying to get in his head. And you know, Ben has responded well in the past to people challenging him and get trying to get into his head. But I don't know that I buy it's gonna it's gonna go that it's gonna work this time. So what maybe he does attempt, you know, one or two here and there. But I I just don't buy that he's gonna come back and 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 suddenly be a willing three point shooter where he's taking one or two a game. 
Yeah, I'm usually a believe it when I see it guy, but the reason I'm optimistic is because of this experiment. And I think this is the first time in Ben Simmons' career where he can be potentially used in a different role than we've seen. Uh, and in featuring Ben at the forward position, at the dunker spot, of course he's going to be in the low block. But another thing that I'm considering is Joel Embiid playing on the low block paired with Ben Simmons' game could oftentimes be inefficient. So the two of them may not be playing high and low. You may see Ben Simmons in the corner, and, and Ben Simmons is comfortable shooting three in the corner as per videos before games and practice. So I think you could potentially see him float out and take some attempts there or work on the mid-range game. I also alluded to earlier a potential pick-and-roll game, a two-man game with Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid as the role man and Shake Milton or Josh Richardson as the point guard. If there is a two-man game like that, of course Ben Simmons is going to look great as a role man him and Josh established that chemistry throughout the season, but also you can see him pop and shoot. Now, is that going to happen? I'm not sure it does, but I'm more optimistic now than I usually am. And the thing about the playoffs with Ben Simmons is he gets a really bad rap because he doesn't shoot the basketball, but Ben Simmons not shooting in the playoffs isn't the difference between winning and losing for the Sixers. I mean, last year against Toronto, 8 for 16 against Kawhi Leonard, against Brooklyn, 9 for 12 against Jared Allen. 7 of 9 versus Danny Green, 5 of 8 versus Pascal Siakam, 6 of 7 versus Ibaka, Kyle Lowry, he went 3 of 5, Karis LeVert, 4 of 5. Ben Simmons is usually dominating against the opposition, but he's doing it in a way where he's taking high percentage shots. If Ben Simmons can do that and just even add one or two attempts a game that aren't in the paint, I think it's going to give a whole new dynamic to this offense. In Austin, there's plenty of new tricks up the sleeve for this team. I've said that plenty of times throughout this show, and I'm optimistic. I think the limited film teams are going to have against the Sixers is going to help to their advantage this playoffs. For sure. And um, Sixers Adam made an interesting point with, after the comments that Brett Brown made about Shake with the starting lineup. Um, if you're moving Ben to power forward and you're putting a new someone else in that point guard, do you see more Raul Neto or Howell Neto and less Mike Scott. I, I it's an, it's an interesting point. I I I think fans should definitely hope not. I mean, how old Neto is what he is, but I mean, it's it, he's made a lot of mistakes. Um for someone who should, who should be a veteran backup. Um and he doesn't just he just doesn't give you much. Um I I think if you I, I think you're I think we're going to see a heavier concentration of Ben at power forward because we want to, they really want to integrate that and make that part of their offense, something that they're comfortable with. But I think it's going to be a shared duty of like Josh Richardson, a little bit of Ben Simmons, maybe even Alec Burks. Right. So let's say the starting five is going to be shake Josh, Tobias, Ben and Joe. I think after that, and this will answer JR's question, Al Horford's the sixth man. Do, do we both agree with that? Okay, after Al Horford, I honestly think for a Concord Maz is the seventh man. Yep. The eighth man, I want to say, is Alec Burks. And I think nine is going to be split between Glenn Robinson and Matisse Thibel because the two of them have very similar offensive roles, but defensively, that's where the separation is. Uh, so I think depending on the matchup, the two of them are going to be interchangeable at, at the eighth or ninth man. Uh, and then after that, I, I honestly think that that Philadelphia is not going to compromise and go small against any team. So I think when Shake Milton isn't playing point guard and Ben Simmons isn't playing point guard, you're going to see a guy like Josh Richardson 
or Alec Burks handling basketball. I, I really don't see a, a point in time where the Sixers would need to use Howell Neto. And the addition of Ryan Brokoff could help too. I mean, people he, forget if about he comes that. Back. If he does, yeah, pe- people forget about that, but that's a potential floor spacer. And if you can plug and play a 6'5", 6'6", 6'10", guy at the point guard position like Simmons or Milton, having Brokoff maybe step up and play the three or the four, that could be really helpful for Philadelphia because, like I said, floor spacer, catch-and-shoot guy. For sure. And I do I, – I, I think um, Matisse Thibel is actually closer to out of the rotation than Robinson would be. Like I think, I think the minutes – I think – the, the balance of minutes would go towards Glenn Robinson, the third, and then Matisse is like into single digits, I guess, I would guess. Um, um, and, you know, but, but I do think it's going to be like Horford. Um, I think they're going to use Horford a lot more than people think. Um, then it's going to be Furkan because they need the shooting. And then, like you said, um, you know, Burks and then Glenn Bob or, um, Matisse, but that's what, um, that, that, that's where, you know, the answer to John's question, I think that's what it's going to be that I think the guys we got from gold that they got from golden state, um, Burks and Robinson, I think Burks is, you're probably looking at like 20 minutes a game and with Robinson it's probably like 15 minutes a game. Um, the Bravo Mo 1982. Thank, uh, what's up guys. I like your show. Pistons fan. Thanks, Bravo Mo. Uh, we really appreciate that. Put a lot of work in, so it's uh, it's always nice to have people give us give us that those compliments. We really appreciate that. Um, is the two guard position set up a hundred percent for Philly, or or, the, or uh, can they play Matisse? It's an interesting question. It is. Um, I think it's it's something that's still very much up in the air. They like they they obviously they love Josh Richardson at point at a shooting guard. Um, and they have a bunch of wings that they're toying with. I think it's going to be a committee of who is hot on any given night in the playoffs, especially as head of the playoffs. Um, if Furkan Korkmaz is, is hitting three threes in the first quarter, it would be it would behoove Brett Brown for the sake of his keeping his job, and even with it, with it hanging by the thread of a needle or by the, whatever it is, skin of the teeth, whatever whatever you want to call it. It would be it would behoove Brett Brown to ride the hot hand at shooting guard on any given night because the more shooting you can get, the better. Um, I don't think Matisse Thibel's truly an answer at shooting guard because he's he's had a, a, a very, very up and down year shooting three. He had one month where he was like 45%, and then other months he was 25%, so he's kind of balanced that at 35%. But still, he's not a positive enough in offense in general where he's somebody who you can trust at the two-guard spot. I think they play him more at the three, or they even go positionless where they're just – you know, matching guys up with guys and saying, you know, let's let's just run the offense. Um, Brock, your thoughts? Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. Positionless. That's the most important word there. I saw you uh, smirk as soon as I said that. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> basketball now, most of the successful teams in the NBA have gone positionless. If you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, the Los Angeles Lakers, a lot of teams have gone positionless. And I think the unique thing about the Sixers is that they can afford to go positionless. So, when Josh is not at that two position, I think it's really interchangeable. And Austin, I'm just going to piggyback on your point. On any given night, the defensive matchup or the offensive matchup can dictate who plays at that two spot. Now, the point guard position, I think, is reserved, and I think the center position is reserved. But anything from no. two to four, I, I, what, for, <laughs> for Henry, I don't know who that would be. Uh, maybe it's uh, Rashawn Holmes or uh, yeah. Josh. 
Uh, but but regardless, yeah, I, think, <laughs> I, I think two through four is really interchangeable for Philadelphia. And that's just going to be dictated based on the matchup. Tobias Harris spent over 90% of his minutes in, in Philadelphia at the power forward position, but he's also played over 70% of his minutes early in his career at the small forward position. So there could be lineups that feature Tobias at the four, someone at the three, or vice versa, Al Horford at the, uh, at the four, at the two position. There's three or four wings that they could play there. So I think Philadelphia's most optimal basketball would be playing positionless. Yeah, I agree. Um, he's Brock Landis, Landis Brock on Twitter. Um, oh, wait, we have one more question. Which team do you consider a tougher matchup for Philly, Toronto, or Miami? I was actually listening to uh, to Zach Lowe's podcast last night on my way down to the shore, and Zach Lowe made some really good points about Miami. Um, and I, you know, I tend to think I'm pretty like you know. Uh, I'll admit I can be narcissistic at times where, where I don't think I'm wrong, but I worship Zach Lowe. I think he's the, 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 a super, super, super smart guy, really good personality. Um, and he made some points like, can Jimmy Butler get that, get that whistle in the playoffs? Um, can, you know, it will defense is key in on, on the off ball stuff that, that um, Duncan Robinson has, has, has been successful on this year. Where, where, where do they adjust? If um if if Myers Leonard can't hold down the Ford at center, do they go, uh you know all at a bio, um, and then who is like who is their closing time lineup? Is it Iguodala? Is it Crowder? Jimmy? You know who else? Um, so in I think Miami has had a really 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 good season, better than anyone thought they would have. Certainly better than I thought they'd have. Um, but I, I tend to think the kryptonite for the Sixers would probably be leaning towards Toronto. Um, you know, Siakam's had an unbelievable year. Lowry's a, a, just a pest. He, he's a very good player. But Marcus Saul has real estate with Joel Embiid. We can't deny it. It's the, it's the truth. Um, so, you know, the Sixers have this sort of this this traumatic experience with, with the Raptors. And I think that would present them with with, with, with a bigger, you know, issue. Um, give Miami credit. They did, they played the Sixers really well this year. They beat them three out of four games. But I think the, 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 uh, the you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of well-known analysts favor the Sixers over over Miami in a series uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, real quickly, I'd also say Toronto as well. Uh, I think star power wins in the playoffs, and I just think Toronto has a little more. Both teams are equally deep, in my opinion. Um, but I, I think Toronto is a tougher team to match up with. You already talked about Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam, but there's a couple of other names on that team which pose problems. That would be OG Ananobi and um, – Norman Powell, the, the, there's guys on Toronto that, that can light it up from beyond the arc. They can score within the perimeter and they can defend well. I think Miami, a team that had the best three-point percentage after the All-Star break and was top six before, uh, really needs a rhythm and, and they need momentum to be as good of a shooting team. And I think this time off may have hurt Miami more than it may have helped. That's right. That's all the questions we got for today. Um, he's Brock Landis. You can find him on Twitter, Landis Brock. Brock, that video you made at Tobias Harris was awesome. What, what do you got coming up next? What's the next video you got coming up next? My next one is going to be about the six or starting five experiment. Uh, so okay. what it's going to look like, how it's going to help, everything of that sort. Okay. I am Austin Krell, Krell TPL on Twitter. You can DM us, email me, whatever. Um, you know, follow the feed who be, follow us. We, we we work very hard to put out good content for everybody. Um, Brock. I will see you next week for another episode of the Feed2MB. There'll be more stuff for us to talk about. As always, thank you for, for tuning in, everybody, and, and, and enjoying the live show and providing commentary. Uh, we love doing this. 
and um, you know, uh, make sure to subscribe and give us a review, positive or negative. We're always looking to get better. We're always looking to you know to to, to celebrate what, what we do well. Um, but as always, thank you for for listening to the Feed to Beat and have a good day.